right. Good morning, Crossroads Ministries, and welcome here, and uh, welcome to the service here, and uh, it's great to have you here this morning. And if you're a guest, uh, would you please stop by our welcome center this morning and just uh, let them know that you're new. We'd like to get some information and uh, give you a gift for coming for the first time. And for those of you who are joining us online, we're glad that you're watching, glad that you're tuning in. And of course, if you're in the auditorium this morning, would you please stand as we worship a great king. Amen.
Lord, this morning for that song of praise. For me and my house, we're going to serve you. For me and my house, you'll get the praise. For me and my house, we're going to love you always. For me and my house, we're going to worship. For me and my house, you'll get your way for me.
church. But your name is a strong and mighty town. Your name is a shelter like have a seat. Good to be with you this morning. Welcome all of our family joining us online. Happy Fourth of July weekend. We thank God for the independence that we have, don't we? Yeah, we do. Thank you, God, for what we have. We are very thankful for that. And so happy Fourth of July, everybody. And I uh, hope you guys have a fun, safe uh, Fourth of July this week doing, uh, doing what you do. It's everybody's got their fun traditions. Um, but listen, we're, we're glad you're all here. Welcome our guests. Um, please do us a favor. Do me a favor. Just say, hey, this guy on stage, he told me to go do this, so I'm going to go do it. So go to the Welcome Center before you leave because we have a gift for you, and we also would just love to meet you. Um, There's something powerful about meeting one person when you show up to a new place, and so we want to be that one person. The Welcome Center, um, I know that Tracy and Chad are over there, so go talk to them, and they would love to meet you as well. Plus, we have a gift for you. And then also, too, if you're joining us online, please let us know you're online, and we'd love to connect with you online as well. Um, Church, a few things um, that are coming up. Um, One is that our car cruise is every Tuesday, but for the next two weeks, we will not be having our car cruise. So three weeks from this Tuesday, 5 to 8.30, be here for our car cruise. And then Mega Sports Camp is July 10th through the 14th, and uh, this place is going to be hopping here at Crossroads. So kids are going to be all over the place. So be praying for um, Kim and Christy and the whole team, this army of volunteers that are going to be serving throughout the week, and just be praying for these kids that they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and that they would give their lives to Jesus, Um, which I do want to share with you that I did talk to um, Pastor Ken last night, and the Ecuador team is doing well. Um, They uh, just had had this morning Ken speaking in all the services, and then they're going to be having a little bit of um, kind of decompressed time to just play and um, just kind of run around uh, Ecuador, Quito area, Um, but he wanted to let you guys know, wanted to tell me to tell you guys that many kids uh, gave their lives to Christ this week, so that's that's awesome, so very thankful for that. Um, These kids, um, 
stepped from, from death into life. Um, their purpose, they have purpose. Like these kids are being told the truth. So we thank God for that. Exciting to hear um, what's happening. We can't wait to hear more when they come back. Um, so be prayer for Mega Sports Camp and be prayer for our Ecuador team as they come back and we'll be sharing what, what God did in Ecuador. So guys, uh, would you stand with me as we continue on this morning here at Crossroads? Uh, go ahead and stand with me and we're going to just go to the Lord in prayer and uh, ask him to continue to lead us and guide us as we just we, we gather this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for um, the abilities that we have. We thank you for the opportunities that we have. Lord, we thank you for this place that we can gather. Lord, all of us coming together, just searching for hope, searching for truth. And the only way that we can find truth and hope and true freedom is in Christ. Uh, nothing in this world can produce truth, freedom, um, nothing, only Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us to focus on what you want us to learn this morning and uh, how we can grow and just grow closer to you and grow in more confidence and faith and trust as we, um, as we walk this life and uh, step in step with you. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Mountains shake and crumble at your name, the oceans roar and tumble at your name, angels will bow, the earth will rejoice, your people cry
You may be seated, church. I'm back. <laughs> so last week, uh, Ken asked uh, Pastor Jim to speak. We thank God for Pastor Jim. That was a powerful message last weekend. Um, we, we were, he was talking about the power and presence of God and how critical it is that we walk in God's power and his presence. And so um, Ken asked me to speak this week, and these are called one-offs. So there's not a part of a series. It's, it's just a, a one-off, you know. So that's our creative title for today. No, but it's something to where, um, you know, I, I love when we can follow a series, but I also love when it's just like we pause and it's like, what's, what is God teaching you? And after last weekend, I, w- I was just continuing to pray, and I'm like, God, what is it? <laughs> what do you want me to talk about? And um, when Jim was talking about Peter getting out of the water, it just clicked in my head. Peter took one step, and that's what Pastor Jim was saying, is as we follow Christ, we shift the trust from us to Jesus. We have to take that step, and it's one step at a time. One step at a time. Because, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm like, man, I got to get out of the boat and I got to sprint and I got to run. I got to, you know, I got to dive and slide. I think about how my, my boys do everything. They dive, slide, fly, you know, run. And there's nothing is walking. They, walking does not exist in their vocabulary. Um, and, uh, and so I, I, I just really got, I felt like God was speaking to my heart and just thinking about the power and presence of God. And then I started thinking about when Peter was walking on the water and how he got distracted by the storms. And I thought, man, I got storms. We got storms in our life. And what are the storms right now? The messages that we're hearing. The messages that are being fed to us constantly. The messaging of the world, uh, the, the ideologies, the trends, the situations that are forcing us as followers of Jesus to go to the truth of God's word. And let it calibrate every area of your life. If you think about calibration, like if your car is not calibrated, you drive above like 40 or 50, you're going to know. You know, you're going to be like that car, like, you know, doing this. And that's how our life is without being calibrated by God's word. Is we think we're good, but, you know, you're driving and it's not good. Um, And so today what I want to do is I want to look at 2 Corinthians 10. This This is the passage I just felt like God was laying on my heart specifically Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 6. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick each verse apart and then we're going to talk about it and then I'll give us some application. And then today we have a baptism at the end of the service. So that's very cool. I know. It's very cool. So there's a lot of application in this, in this passage. And so um, especially for us in this day and age with kind of the oversaturation of messaging, guys, this is a battle for our minds. Uh, in our day and age. And so Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in Corinth. And, and they, were, they were really, the Christians in Corinth, what they were dealing with is they were dealing with these people called readers. R-H-E-T-O-R-S. And these were people who were skilled in talking. Public, uh, and they, were attracting, they were attracting public admiration. They, were, uh, they called themselves vendors of wisdom. Right? Twisting words and spewing rhetoric laced with good sounding ideas and thoughts. And so Corinth, in many ways, resembles America for this reason. Corinth was a nucleus of traders, entrepreneurs, sailors, and more. Um, you could find fortune, power, wealth, honor, fame. Sounds pretty good. Um, people would often scamper up the success ladder and then at the top would find corruption. So we know it's pretty similar to America. Um, but one of the things that really made this 
that, that really was a distinct mark of Corinth was that it attracted serious social climbers. Corinth became a magnet for the socially ambitious, for status-hungry people. Gifted speakers were admired and followed, and, and rhetoric mingled with desire for social status produced a culture that turned these people into heroes, these vendors of wisdom, um, and they created audiences and turned them into fans and followers. So these readers, what they would do is they would share rhetoric. The art of effective or persuasive speaking or writing, especially the use of figures of speech and other compositional techniques. Um, these readers were, were known as, they were, they were coming from, um, what's the word, the sophists, right? Uh, which Sophia means wisdom. Um, but what they, they did was they kind of they had what the Irish would call the gift of the gab. They could sell a secondhand car to anybody. So these people really, they were, they were like traveling exhibitionists. They would just travel around and try to woo people with their good words. And if you type into Google what a sophist is, uh, a paid teacher of philosophy and rhetoric in ancient Greece associated in popular thought with moral skepticism and spacious reasoning, which spacious means it seems right, but it's actually wrong. Paul saw these social pressures in Corinth, and he's writing to the believers there, and he was, and he's saying, "Wake up! Do you see what's happening?" And he's trying to let the word of God recalibrate them from where they are being led astray, being influenced. And so Paul doesn't manipulate anything; he doesn't come at them with fancy words. He just lets the truth of God's word speak to them. So as we begin this morning, I think it's important for us to understand and ask the question: Is where are we from our worldview standpoint? If we think about being a follower of Christ and I take my glasses off, and if this is me following Christ, is I put on new lenses. I see the world differently. When I got my first pair of glasses, I was in Walmart. I was single, and I bought the cheapest pair of glasses I could possibly find. I'm not even sure there was anything glass in them. But when I bought them, I, opened, I put them on, and everything was so much brighter, and I could see, and it was wonderful. You know, when you are driving and you can't see signs, like it's, that's, that's, that's usually a good sign to get your eyes checked. And so I remember seeing it for the first time, and, and my life, I felt like my life in a lot of ways had changed because I could see things more clearly. So following Jesus and giving your life to Christ, that's where that worldview comes in. As you put that, those glasses on, it changes how you look at things. It doesn't just change one aspect. God doesn't want to just change one aspect. He wants to change everything. And the worldview is what Paul is seeing in these Corinthians, like you guys are really kind of going this way. So 2 Corinthians, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to work our way down to verse 6. So Paul says in verse 1, he says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you, went away. When you see somebody doing something that's incorrect, our humanness is like, Bob Newhart, like, stop it, right? He said, you know, he wants us to, you just, you go to that person, you're like, stop it. Like, you know, oh, you're doing that thing, stop it. But, but Paul is coming at them and he, he, he's appealing to them. He's not just saying, don't do this, do that. He's appealing to them. He's letting the word of God speak for itself. And what's powerful is he comes at them through the gentleness and humility of Christ. And so he appeals to them and he appeals to them as Jesus would. And I think about 1 Peter 3.15, and we've been, we've been doing this uh, apologetic study on Wednesday night. 
And one of the verses that we, could t- we talk about continuously is 1 Peter 3.15. Worship Christ as Lord of your life and always be able to give a reason for the hope that you believe and do so with gentleness and respect. So you don't shy away from the truth, but you do so with gentleness and respect. And so he comes at them in humility. He comes at them with gentleness, but he doesn't shy away from the truth. And the other thing is great power and graciousness can, come to, can, be, can be together. So often I think we only can process one at a time. I definitely think our culture can only process things one at a time. Um, you're either powerful or you're gracious or you're gracious and you're not powerful. Like it's just this, it's, it's, it's lopsided because Jesus Christ is the only one who truly exemplified true power and grace. Therefore, only through the power of Jesus can we begin to show power and grace in the same. We cannot do this by ourselves. So Paul is appealing to them. He's opening up this conversation. He sees this fresh opposition happening in Corinth, and he's trying to wake up these, these believers. He's trying to wake them up and say, guys, we need to focus on the truth here. So verse 2, I beg you that when you come, that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Um, he, he, it seems like he's being a little passive like I've heard these some of these people there that are feeling like, you know, we do this and we don't. And, and, and he's maybe throwing a little bit of shade, but his goal in humility is to give the Corinthians a chance to course correct. He's saying, listen, I'm going to present the truth. And he's like, it's almost like, you know, when your parents would say, like, don't make me come over there. <laughs> um, you know, I feel like we still use that. But but the, the big thing here, guys, is what Paul is doing is if you think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. He doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. There's a huge difference. Peacekeepers are like, you know, you're like my kids. I'm like trying to keep them all I'm like, you know, stop this. Don't do this. Hold this. Don't do that. Don't take that. No, you give that back to her. Why would you take that? How did you get a popsicle? You know what I mean? Like that's. That's kind of like, you know, that you're trying to keep the peace, and, and it's not the point. He's, he's being a peacemaker. What does a peacemaker do? You make peace, so that, doesn't, that means that you're trying to get everybody on the same page. And he's saying, listen, you're doing this. Let's course correct. I'm going to bring the truth, put it in the conversation. I'm going to try to get all of us on the same page. Because if a peacekeeper tries to do what? Make everybody happy. I mean, I remember being a youth pastor. I thought I could make everybody happy. And so I went out to Giant Eagle like one of my first nights and I bought all this ice cream. Sure enough, I had five kids that were lactose intolerant that showed up that night. I was like, I can't win. So then I ran out and bought the, you know, only, you know, dairy-free ice cream. And they're like, that stuff is disgusting. So uh, listen, you can't, no, 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 listen, you can't, like, you can't make everybody happy. And so being a peacekeeper is totally different than being a peacemaker. So Paul is saying, here he's like listen some think we live as followers of jesus by the standards of this world we're far from it we're our citizenship is stamped and it says eternity in heaven first peter 1 god tells us to be holy not because it's a great idea but because he is holy god's standard his bar for our life is he's saying be set apart because we are his and what does he want for his children the best He's not like, yeah, like go, go do those other things. Listen to that and head that direction, and then I'll be here when you get back. He's saying, be set apart, be holy, and that's a, that's a, that's a very big word. But these Christians, don't forget these these Corinthians that Paul is addressing. They're in the church. These are believers, right? But they were developing a new standard of living. 
Even as followers of Jesus, guys, it's super easy that we can say we're Christians, but our standards really kind of come from a, like, you know, second-rate blog on the Internet. 2 Corinthians 10.3, continuing on, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We're citizens of America. But as children of God, we're given a spiritual birth certificate. We function as a part of a society here, but my home, our home is not here. So he, he goes on, he says, we do not wage war as the world does. We cannot use human weapons to fight the battles that we face today. So I'm going to read this quote, and it's, it's rather sobering, but it's talking about the church in general. Apart from a mighty awakening and a revival in the church, we are fighting a losing battle because we are resisting on human levels. The battles that we are fighting are battles of the mind. They're battles of our mind. And if we fight them with just more human weapons, we're going to continue to lose. So Paul is imploring the church in Corinth that this battle they're fighting is for their minds. The talking heads in their culture are clawing for their allegiance. If you think about it, these, the, these Christians in Corinth, you know, this this is like a this is like a, a a bustling metropolitan area. I mean, it's a trade town. Like it's next to the water. Like people are coming in and out. Like it's exciting. So you're hearing new thoughts and new ideas all the time. And what do we know about new ideas and new thoughts? They seem new, but they're really not. They're just repackaged. And so these Corinthian Christians are like hearing this and like, man, that sounds really good. That's like really good. That's good sounding wisdom, right? And so Paul is saying, listen, we can't, we don't wage war, and you cannot fight the opposing views that you're seeing with just more human stuff. You have to fight them differently. And so if you think about a revolutionary war soldier, they were armed with a musket, and it took them about 30 seconds. If they were really good, they could get three shots in a minute. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Um, but if you were to drop a revolutionary soldier with a musket in the middle of a, of a modern-day warfare setting, it wouldn't... They wouldn't last. It's a totally different, totally different situation. Wrong weapons wouldn't work today's age. And the same concept, the same idea is the way that we're trying to fight our, our, our battles of our mind today, we can't just use human weapons. We have to use different weapons. So the Corinthian church, what they were doing was that the Christians, they were tending to rely on uh, and human weapons, and they were admiring them. You know, it's like if I found a thought and I'm going to battle it with more thoughts, um, just more human stuff. And so Ephesians six ten through 17 kind of gives us the reality of the war, the battle that we fight in our day and age. Ephesians six ten through 17 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So these Corinthian churches knew the truth, but this is what they were doing. Instead of the belt of truth, they fought with manipulation. 
Instead of the breastplate of righteousness, they fought with the image of success. Instead of the shoes of the gospel, they fought with smooth, good-sounding words. Instead of the shield of faith, they fought with the perception of power. Instead of the helmet of salvation, they fought with lording over authority. Instead of the sword of the spirit, they fought with human schemes and programs. So, so Paul is painting this picture to these Corinthians. Listen, you're fighting this opposition. I want you to realize that there's an opposition. And I want you to realize the only way that you're going to battle this battle of your mind is beyond human weapons. Because human weapons are not going to fight the battle that you're fighting. And so in verse 4, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I, I just I, I, ima- I imagine trying to be on the receiving end of this letter. I'm probably cocky. I'm probably like, oh, he's he's doing his Bible thing again. Um, you know, I'm already judging him because the influences that I'm being fed by are telling me that this guy is weak. Um, humility is not something that's rewarded in Corinth. Therefore. I'm kind of going like Paul is telling us he's coming by the gentleness and like this guy is a joke. So they're probably kind of like snickering. They're reading this. And so the word of God is just standing and we have to let the word of God stand. And so Paul is saying, listen, here, here's the deal. The weapons that we fight with, the ones that you're trying to use, they're not going to they're not going to battle against this opposition. In fact, the only ones that are going to have power are going to be the ones that we have from God, the divine power to demolish strongholds. That's a pretty strong statement. It's not power to demolish, you know, like we call it, like a, that's a straw man argument. Like, you can knock it down. It, you're talking strongholds, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, what those are. But if you think about how Jesus relied on spiritual weapons when he fought for our salvation, Philippians 2, 6 through 8, this is a picture of the power that's in Christ. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So this is the heart that Paul's coming out of, is he's coming with this humility. He's he's coming in the humility like Christ. And the Corinthians are kind of like, I'm offended. (laughs) I'm offended by this. I'm offended because, you know what, this is weak. Like, don't throw this Jesus stuff at me. You know, the human way, if you think about it, is to overpower, dominate, manipulate, outmaneuver. But the spiritual Jesus way is to humble yourself, to die to yourself, and to let God show his resurrection power through you. So as we fight the battle of our minds, we have to use the correct weapons. Second Corinthians 10, verse 5, Paul goes on and he says, We demolish arguments. So we've got this divine power, divine weapons to do what? Demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The strongholds that Paul is referring to are what? Thoughts and perceptions standing against the true knowledge of God and the nature of God. You know, these aren't just, like I said, these aren't straw man walls. These are strongholds. These are deeply rooted in our minds. Pride, intellectualism blinds us to the truth. A wall that we put up because we think, well, I can figure the truth out without God. The truth exists outside of God. Or there, there can't just be a singular truth. Like, 
I bet you there's other truth beyond this. And so we develop those strongholds and we start to hold that up against, and it separates it because we create this fortress around ourselves. In fact, it's so powerful because Paul is always using war imagery. He's always using like soldiers, be, you know, arm yourself like we just read in Ephesians 6 with the armor of God. We talk about, you know, Paul connects a lot of, you know, soldier and war imagery to help the readers understand the, like, the, the, the vastness of what he's trying to, to communicate. But he often talks about this, and, and specifically that warfare that was happening during that time was called siege warfare. And it's literally destroying the walls of an enemy to take them out. And so in our context, they're the walls of our mind. So siege warfare, this is the definition, is a tactic developed that involves surrounding a garrison or populated area with the goal of driving out the enemy forces by deteriorating their defenses and cutting them off from reinforcements and vital supplies. So what happens when you tear down the walls of the enemy? What happens? You can take the city. You can take the town. You can take the, the, the fortress. You can take them captive. Church, through Jesus Christ, we have the power to demolish strongholds, to make our thoughts obedient to Christ. So what does this look like? So Paul, when he's talking to these Corinthians, the first application that he's trying to drive them towards is, is to think of their worldly thinking. Um, they're, they're already tackling Paul and saying, well, he's weak. You know, they're, they're like Paul wasn't anything to write home about <laughs> from, a, from a physical standpoint, but they're already discounting him because of all the influences. And so he's like, guys, 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 you're, 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 you're like glasses are half on. They're, some, of them, some of you don't even have glasses. You've got to put them on. You've got to put your Jesus lens on. You have to have your worldview on. You have to have the worldview that is Christ-focused, Christ-centered. Because what he's getting at here is he's saying, listen, this is a bigger thing than just what you're understanding. And so what he's saying here is, Apostle Paul is saying here that your job in this battle is to destroy strongholds. And you know what a stronghold is? It's a mental block. Paul is talking about pretensions. These are arguments set up against the knowledge of God. This is a mental battle. It is a battle for our mind. So what could be in our mind creating that stronghold between us and the true knowledge of God? Um, It could be a worldview materialism, secularism, relativism, communism, atheism, all the isms. These are mental strongholds that, that we can set up against the knowledge of God. They, com- they create that wall in our minds between us and God. It can also be a personal attitude. Worry can be a stronghold. Seeking the approval of other people can be a stronghold. Anything that you make an idol in your life can be a stronghold. Fear, guilt, resentment, insecurity, all these things can be strongholds in our minds. And Paul is saying we have the power to tear them down. Because why? Because they keep us from a true knowledge of God. My whole life, growing up, my mom would put me down at night and I would ask her the question, what are we doing tomorrow? You know, and my poor mother, I think half time she made up stuff. But I would always ask her that and I was always obsessed and just really concerned. It was a concern about what was happening tomorrow. We, you know, and, and I remember... Just asking her genuinely, what would we be doing? And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm 36 years old. I still have the same struggles. God, do you really have a plan for my life? You know, you can, I can do what I'm doing here. I'm just as broken as everybody else. And on a Monday, I'm going, man, God, is this what you want me to do? Like, do you really have a plan for me? And those insecurities and those doubts, those, those create this wall in my head because I'm trying to self-protect. 
And then what do I do when I self-protect is I start to put this wall up, and then that wall pushes me to say, well, I'm going to listen to other people and what they have to say. Or I'm going to see if I can figure it out on my own. And I kind of move from being God-reliant to being self-reliant. I often find myself questioning God's plan for my life. And it's never a massive switch. If you think about it, how is a fortress built one brick at a time? It's one thought at a time. And this develops a stronghold in my mind between me and God and the true knowledge of God and his purpose for me. But here's where Paul gets into the power. He says we have the ability, we have the, we have the power in Christ to demolish strongholds. So what I do is I take those thoughts and I say, God, as I'm reading, if my thoughts are wrong, would you destroy them? You want to talk about a, like a, a sobering, humbling prayer? Because God brings me to Jeremiah 29:11, and he says, I have a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. If you think about the people that went into exile, he, they, they're like, what do we do with our lives? Does God have a plan? And he says, I have a plan for you. I want you to have families. I want you to build gardens. I want you to work. I want you to toil the ground. I want you to set up life in a, in a society. I have plans to, to prosper you. And then I go into Ephesians 10. I am God's workmanship prepared in advance. I think of Psalm 33:11. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. God's plan stands firm forever. The purpose of his heart through all generations. And so I let the thoughts and I hold them up to God's truth and God's truth destroys my thought because does God have a plan for me? You better believe it. Does he have a plan for you? You better believe it. And so we have to take those thoughts that create a wall between us and God and we have to hold them up to God and we say, God, if these thoughts are not of you, if these thoughts are not true, would you show me in your word what's true and then destroy my thoughts? And then, God, forgive me and make my thoughts obedient to you. Help me to do that. Second Corinthians 6, and he says, And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. And what he's saying here is he's like, I want you to come to terms with what you're doing. Or I'm going to come and, and I'm going to call you out. He knows that unless they allow their thoughts that are standing in the way of the true knowledge of God to be destroyed, they will keep on believing the same thing they've always been hearing. We must come to terms with our own thoughts. The battle for sin always starts in our mind. In fact, it goes all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve were led astray by arguments. Satan's cunning. Second Corinthians eleven three through 4 Paul says later on, after chapter 10, verse 11, he says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put, with, you put up with it easily enough. It means you believe it. You believe it easily enough is what he's saying. Cunning is another word for arguments. What were the Corinthian Christians going through? They were dealing with good-sounding wisdom, arguments. How do we win the battle of the mind? So let's get into some application. The first thing is that we don't believe everything that we think. So don't believe everything that you think. Guys, our mind is broken. Our mind is a part of who is a part of us. Our mind is sinful. Our heart is sinful. Our mind is sinful. We have an amazing ability to lie to ourselves. We do it all the time. Don't believe me? Things are not as bad as they seem. You ever told yourself that one? We're doing okay when we're not. Things are better than they really are. We cannot be trusted to tell ourselves the truth. That's why we must question our thoughts and not believe everything we think. 
First John 1 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, as I think about all the messages that we're being fed, one of the words that just drives me up the wall is, is authentic. <laughs> the word authentic. Oh, they're so authentic. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, when, of course, authentic, authentic, authentic is attractive. But when has inauthenticity ever been in style? Think about that. You are not authentic until you publicly admit how inauthentic you are most of the time. Authenticity begins when we start by admitting that we are inauthentic. So when you're hearing people and you hear these messages and they're talking about, oh, they're so real, they're so authentic, ask yourself, do they ever talk about their brokenness and their inauthenticity or is it always just so real? You know, one of the big reasons that you, you need to not believe everything you think um, is that we see what we want to see. I read, I love reading about the brain and one of the things that I've been reading about is the optic nerve, which is the only nerve that goes directly to your brain. Actually, it sends more impulses from your brain forward than from your eye backward, which means your brain is telling you what you see. You are already, we are already preconditioned. That is why you can't put four people at an accident and each of them will see, you can put four people at an accident and four people will see something totally different. We must remind ourselves and teach others not to believe everything we think. The second one is one that my mom has taught me ever since I was a little kid. Garbage in, garbage out. So we have to guard our mind from garbage. Proverbs 15:14 says, The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. You know, they were, the Corinthian church, these people were so open-minded. At, and these are Christians. You know, they have the word of God, they got the truth, but they're like, oh, the good-sounding wisdom. You know, they were so open-minded that their brains fell out. It's okay to laugh. But it's true. The third thing is that we never let up on learning. You know, we're great at being polar opposites, aren't we? Do this, don't do this, learn the right things. And it's important about being a lifelong learner, learning to accept the good and then reject the bad. And how do we know what's bad? You create a filter using the scriptures, using God's word. We learn how to take in information, accept the good, and reject the bad. I mean, I was a kid. I remember my mom would say, oh, that's, that's bad. Stay away from it. I'm like, okay. Well, that's bad. Stay away from it. Oh, okay. What do I do? You know what the number one question was yesterday on Google? I like to look these things up because I'm just secretly a huge nerd. What should I watch? You're asking a search engine that's probably powered by artificial intelligence. What should you watch? What should I watch? We are obsessed with asking technology to tell us what to do. Like, the, the, you can subscribe. I looked this up. You could subscribe to a master class paid subscription of I will show you what my daily routines are. Now, there's probably some truth in that. But I'm like, man, alive. Like, we really are just like, we are wanting to be led. <laughs> it's crazy. Proverbs 25 says, the, purpose of a, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. So never let up on learning. But the fourth one, the most important one, is to have victory in Jesus. We have victory in Jesus over every battle, including our minds. We have the power to take down strongholds. Joshua in the battle of Jericho, um, in, in, in Joshua chapter 6, it says this. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. 
Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So we read on and Joshua did exactly as, as God instructed him. And what happened? The strongholds of Jericho fell. And they were able to take, take the, the city captive. Joshua and, their Israelites, Joshua and the Israelites could not have allowed, could have allowed the stronghold of, God can't do this. We have a better, we have a better way of figuring this out. Let's do this another way. But they chose to obey what God had them do, what, ha- what he had them do, and he instructed them to do, and God gave them victory. We all need victory over our minds. We need it every day. So let's take our thoughts, let's hold them up to the true knowledge of God, his word, and if they are not of God, they are, not, they are separating us from God. Anything that is pulling you away from God, anything that is making you seek inward, self-reliance, Ask yourself the question, is this promoting self or is this promoting God? Is this promoting me to follow God and my need for him or is it promoting more of my own selfish desires? That's a, that's a great question to ask. You're reading something, you're like, is this self-reliance or God-reliance? And so we need to take our thoughts and we need to hold them up to God and we need to say, God, if these words are not, these thoughts are not of you, would you help me tear down these strongholds and would you help me destroy these thoughts? We will find true victory and true freedom and win the battle of our minds. 1 Corinthians 15, 56-58 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But Paul says, But thanks be to God, because he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this morning, for the, your word. Lord, as we um, just prepare to um, witness... Um, Lord Kylie's baptism, God, what a what a gift and a privilege to be able to watch this young woman profess her faith in you, and and to be baptized, Lord. It's about obedience. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, as we witness this and as we think about our own life, we think about our, our the strongholds of our own thoughts, God, that we would take our thoughts and we would hold them up to your word, that we would bring them to you. And God, we would ask the question, is this something you want me to do? Is this pushing me towards you or pulling me away from you? Is this causing God-reliance or self-reliance? And Lord, if these thoughts in our head of pride, of intellectualism, Lord, of anything that's moving us the opposite direction, just like the Corinthian Christians, they are being influenced. And what we are influenced by, it affects how we live. So what we allow ourselves to ingest information and messaging wise god it it changes us and i pray we would ingest lord we would digest and we would take in in our lives lord your word and the true knowledge of who you are and that we would hold our thoughts up to you and if they are not of you to let them be destroyed and lord if there's anyone here this morning that is looking for victory lord it starts with christ and if you're here this morning and you do not have a saving relationship with jesus and you want to have that personal relationship with him you can just have a, a, just a quiet time between you and God, and, and it's a simple just acknowledgement uh, and, and, and a conversation between you and God, and, and it goes like this. Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner. And Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and three days later, you rose again. 
I give my life now and forevermore to follow you and to take this message of hope to this hurting world. Help me as I battle these strongholds in my mind. I want victory, Jesus. And I believe that you gave me victory by your death on the cross. Lord, be with your church as we respond and as we leave out of here and we tear down these strongholds. May we claim the victory that's only found in Jesus. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand as we sing one more song here before the baptism? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hadst been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, born by more.
Hi, I'm Kylie. I am 14 and I'm going to be a freshman in high school this year. I came to Crossroads from a friend telling me how good it was and I've been to so many churches. I decided to give Crossroads a chance and my um, this is the one church that actually felt like I belonged in. So the reason why I want to get baptized is my Basically, my childhood was a rough childhood, and a couple years back, I lost my grandma, and my mom said a part of me, like my happy, joyful self, went away for a while, and now that I've started to come to Crossroads, my mom says that she sees a whole new side of me, like a happy side of me coming back, and I want to take a bigger step in that, and um devote myself to God now now and get baptized. Hello everybody. Will will you join me in welcoming Kylie up here to the baptistry? She's been coming for a couple months, so if I've had a great joy and pleasure to get to know her and to watch her grow in just the little time that we've been together. And so, Kylie, I have one question for you. Have you trusted to and believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Yes. Awesome. So, upon that, I now, uh, upon that profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of Christ's death, raised in the likeness of Christ's resurrection. <laughs> I told you it was warm. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome, Kylie. So here you go. You can come walk up the stairs up to your mom. It's so awesome when someone who's going into ninth grade to believe that Jesus Christ is her Lord and Savior. Isn't that awesome? Give her a hand one more time. Thank you guys for joining us today. You guys are dismissed. I will see you and we will all see you next week. Bye guys.